The following episode may contain language that is not suitable for certain listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about Cartoon Network appealing to preschoolers, then after that we'll get into Terraria being cancelled for Google Stadia, and then after that we'll get into HBO Max's adult animation in 2021. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Alright, so first up, let's talk about Cartoon Network appealing to preschoolers. So, for those of you who don't know, in an interview with Kid Screen, Warner Brothers Global Kids, Young Adults, and Classics president Tom Scheim? Or is it Askheim? I, I don't know. I really do apologize for mispronouncing your name. So for the rest of this segment, I'm just going to call him Tom A. And so since Tom A runs that department that I just mentioned earlier at Warner Brothers, he's in charge of Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, and Boomerang. And he's also recently been given the task of being the president of the kids and family section of HBO Max, as well as having control over the Wizarding World franchise or the Harry Potter franchise. So Tom A. has a lot of things under his purview at Warner Brothers. And since Cartoon Network came into the Warner Brothers fold through reorganizations of Warner Media, now he gets to be in charge of that network's future. And we're going to talk about it. So last week, he had an interview with Kid Screen that was posted on February 5th. And in that interview, he mentioned that Cartoon Network will be developing programming for preschoolers, families, and for the first time, girls. And it's interesting because historically, Cartoon Network has mostly been appealing to boys aged 6 to 11. When you look at Cartoon Network's original programs throughout the years after it had formed in 1992. You look at programs like Ed, Ed, and Eddie, Dexter's Laboratory, Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. You look at some of Cartoon Network's second party original shows from studios like Warner Brothers Animation, like Teen Titans, and then you had Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Batman the Brave and the Bold. So you had a lot of male-centric programming on Cartoon Network in its almost 29 years of existence. So I would have to assume that with Tom A. realizing that there's gaps in Cartoon Network's content, that he would try very hard to fix them. But Unfortunately, this change in direction wasn't received well by legacy fans of Cartoon Network. And, I mean, I get why they're upset, but a lot of those people are probably somewhere close to my age or even older than I am. So, they're not really in Cartoon Network's demographic anyway. So, it's like... Just like, you know, who cares what I think? Because, after all, Cartoon Network's a kid's network, and I am outside of its target demographic. But, as someone who grew up on Cartoon Network, and and favored it over its competitors like Nickelodeon and Disney Channel, I'm okay with this. I mean, it makes sense that Cartoon Network would develop programs for people who aren't boys because other networks are doing it. You have Disney Channel that has Disney Junior, and then you have Nickelodeon that has Nick Junior. So, 
I mean, there isn't a Cartoon Network Jr. or something like that. So it makes a whole lot of sense for Cartoon Network to jump in on that preschool train. And then also, as far as content geared towards girls, again, the other networks are doing it. I mean, Nickelodeon had acquired the Winx Club, and with Disney Channel, most of the content there is geared towards girls. So Tom A, he recognized that, and he's like, hey, we know that we have these gaps in Cartoon Network's programming, so... We're going to try and fix it, and we're going to try and fill in those gaps with other programming that we may not have aired in the past. So if you remember back in November, Cartoon Network had announced that they were developing Batwheels in collaboration with Warner Brothers Animation and DC, and that is going to be a preschool series. So that's going to be one of the more original pieces of content because, I mean, let's not forget Cartoon Network's owned by Warner Brothers directly now. So Warner Brothers has two in-house studios that can supply Cartoon Network and Boomerang and HBO Max with animated content. So I think that's pretty important. But then another preschool series just got announced last week, right around the time of this kid screen article, which of course I'll have linked in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're listening on. But Another preschool series that got announced was the Thomas and Friends cartoon, which if you know of the Thomas the Train cartoons, then, you know, it's going to be something very similar to the previous Thomas the Train media that we've gotten. And so Cartoon Network is going to be airing that on television here, at least here in the U.S., and then Netflix is going to be streaming it here in the U.S. as well. So kind of an interesting strategy. I don't know why they wouldn't just go with HBO Max so that they would just have to deal with Warner Media, just one company, or they would just keep it as a Netflix quote-unquote original series. So they would just have to deal with one company, but I mean, it's a pretty interesting hybrid approach. And that makes sense because making content takes time. So while Cartoon Network is making its preschool-oriented originals, they're going to need third-party content in the meantime to try and keep those preschool slots warm for all of the original content that's going to come later down the line. And so that makes sense. And then as far as the girl content goes, I can't bring myself to complain about that because that is something that Cartoon Network has definitely needed. And it's weird because Cartoon Network has definitely canceled shows, most notably Young Justice back in the early 2010s or the mid 2010s for appealing too much to girls and that boys weren't watching it as much and weren't buying a lot of the merch that came out from that show. And so it's very interesting because of the changes in regime ever since the early 2010s to now. It's very interesting to see Cartoon Network shifting towards a hey, we're leaning heavily into being a boys-centric network to being more inclusive of girls and younger children. And I think that's nice. I think that definitely helps Cartoon Network become a more well-rounded children's network. But we'll have to wait and see what 
this will mean, but I want to give um, some time to speculate what this could mean for Cartoon Network and Boomerang going forward, because a lot of the content that will be on Cartoon Network in the near future will most likely go to Boomerang as well if they don't end up shutting down that network, which I hope they don't. But, I mean, we'll see. And I should also mention that, speaking of shutting down networks, Tom A. was asked if Warner Media would consider shutting down its international cartoon networks, and he said no. And he mentioned that because Disney had closed down its international networks and gone streaming only in some markets So there are no Disney channels or Disney XDs or Disney juniors in certain parts of the world. And the only place you could get Disney content is on Disney Plus in those parts of the world. And Tom A. had said that the international cartoon networks have seen an uptick in ratings because of Disney's closure of the Cartoon Network competitors that were under its fold. So the international networks aren't going anywhere. Warner Media isn't going to copy Disney in that strategy, at least for now. So at least that's pretty good, especially for international fans to get that reassurance that Cartoon Network isn't going anywhere. But now let's get into speculating what this could mean for Cartoon Network and Boomerang going forward. So obviously, content geared towards girls and preschoolers will most likely go to the television networks, Cartoon Network, and or Boomerang. Because like Tom A. had said, they want to develop some more programming geared towards those audiences. And so it would make sense for them to to put those shows on the network but also i think that as far as some of the male centric tv shows that cartoon network has been producing for a while now but also will be developing in the future i think most of that content from cartoon network studios and warner brothers animation that's targeted towards boys age 6 through 11 will probably go to hbo max if not have some sort of a hybrid release model where they'll air on cartoon network And then after the season's done, it'll be streaming on HBO Max soon after. I could see that happening. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what happens. So there's that. And then also in the male-centric content on Cartoon Network and Boomerang, I think that a lot of the male-centric content on those networks will be produced by the international versions of Cartoon Network because, I mean, it's not only Cartoon Network Studios U.S. that's based out in California. There are Cartoon Network development studios in places like Europe, which we got cartoons like The Amazing World of Gumball from, so... I think that's definitely something that could be considered. And for those shows, I don't know if those will be going to television or if they'll be going to streaming on HBO Max. I I would imagine it would be on a case-by-case basis if that happens. If those shows align with Cartoon Network's audience... I would imagine that they'll be on television. And if they don't focus test well with the Cartoon Network audience here in the U.S., they'll probably just go to streaming on HBO Max. So Warner Media can still make some money off of that. But yeah, those are my thoughts on Cartoon Network and its expansion into developing content for preschoolers and girls. And so I do want to know what you think of Cartoon Network appealing towards preschoolers and girls. Do you think that this is the right direction for Cartoon Network to go in? Or do you think that maybe they should... Just stick with the male-centric content that 
they've been known for and that has propelled them to this point. I would very much like to hear your thoughts on social media or on Discord. I'll have links in the show notes for where we can continue that conversation. But that is going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll get into Terraria being canceled for Google Stadia. Then after that, we'll get into HBO Max's adult animation in 2021. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o and be sure to add the Cells and Circuits podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application, which really helps out the show. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Did you know that we now have a merch store? It's true. In partnership with Bonfire, we've launched the Cells and Circuit shop where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. So hit the link in the show notes to visit the Cells and Circuit shop and start getting your merch today. It really does help out the show. Thanks for your support. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. And now it's time to get into the most controversial segment of this episode. And I'm, of course, talking about Terraria being canceled for Google Stadia. And so for those of you who don't know, if you haven't been following gaming media and all these clickbait sites and stuff like that. So Andrew Spinks the co-founder of Relogic, which is the uh, company that publishes and develops the uh, Terraria game outside of certain platforms, especially mobile platforms like iOS and Android, but we'll get to that in a bit. He had taken to Twitter on February 8th to express his displeasure of Google's customer service And actually, I'll just read the Twitter thread right now so that nothing can be taken out of context. All right. So there are four tweets and I'll go through each one in order. So the Twitter thread reads as follows. Google, my account has been disabled for over three weeks. I still have no idea why, and after using every resource I have to get this resolved, you have done nothing but give me the runaround. My phone has lost access to thousands of dollars of apps on Google Play. I had just bought Lord of the Rings 4K and can't finish it. My Google Drive data is completely gone. I can't access my YouTube channel. The worst of all is losing access to my Gmail address of over 15 years. I absolutely have not done anything to violate your terms of service, so I can take this no other way than you deciding to burn this bridge. Consider it burned. Terraria for Google Stadia is canceled. My company will no longer support any of your platforms moving forward. I will not be involved with a corporation that values their customers and partners so little. Doing business with you is a liability. So that was obviously a very strongly worded Twitter thread. And I get the frustration. I truly do. Imagine losing access to thousands of dollars of apps on Google Play or purchases on various Google platforms such as YouTube or also maybe you even had something like Google Domains, which I use 
or even now Google Stadia. So imagine losing access to all of those things that you'd spent money on and all of the content that you've put on your YouTube channel. And just because something may have flagged the algorithm or maybe you didn't even do anything wrong, if he really didn't do anything wrong, and Google just decided, poof, your account is gone at the drop of a hat or at a moment's notice. Like, I can't fault him for being mad at Google on that. I, I can't. As a software developer myself and as someone who is very deep into the Google ecosystem, I truly do feel sorry for him. I feel very empathetic towards Andrew Spinks. And I really do hope that he does end up getting his Google account back. And I also hope that Terraria ends up coming to Google Stadia if this whole debacle ends up being resolved and he ends up getting his Google account back. But the next day, his company, ReLogic, released an official statement because remember, Andrew Spinks's Twitter account is very different from that of ReLogic. And so ReLogic, the company, released an official statement to Stadia source which that article will definitely be linked in the show notes. And because their statement is very long, I'm not going to read that, but you can check it out for yourself. And in the ReLogic official statement to Stadia Source, they mentioned that despite Andrew Spinks canceling the Stadia version of Terraria, the Android version, which remember, is still on a Google-owned platform and is still served through a Google-owned storefront, the Google Play Store, it still remains up there and will remain on the Google Play Store and even included as part of Google Play Pass for that matter. So nothing is happening to the Android version of Terraria, which is published by 505 Games. So that I will definitely talk about, but also ReLogic mentions that they've made even more efforts than what people have seen on Twitter in the past few weeks. Because if you go to the official Terraria Twitter page, this is something that has definitely been going on for, for weeks and they've tried to contact Google. And so I imagine they've definitely had conversations behind the scenes, but unfortunately they've been to no avail. And so if that's true, which I don't doubt that that last part is, if that's true, then yeah, I completely understand Andrew Spinks's decision to not want to work with Google anymore. I completely understand that. But to be very clear, I don't think that this was handled very well. And I'm going to explain why. So... There are four principal problems that I see with the way that this is handled. So let's talk about it. First up is the half-assed way of taking a stand against Google that Andrew Spinks had displayed. So you probably see where I'm going with this. You canceled the Stadia version of Terraria while leaving the Android version up on the Google Play Store and even still having it included as part of Google Play Pass. And so while the reasoning for it is that punishing existing customers who paid for our game on these platforms is not what we're about. But, I mean, let's be honest here. I think the real reason that the Android version of Terraria is still up and the Stadia version is canceled 
is because the Android version probably makes a lot more money for Andrew Spinks and ReLogic than a lot of the other platforms that it's currently on. And because everybody has a mobile phone, there's just a lot of monetary value in having Terraria on the Google Play Store for Android and even included in Google Play Pass because I imagine he probably received some compensation from Google and 505 Games. And I think that it's just a half-assed way of taking a stand against Google now. And worse yet, he didn't even recommend that people not download the Android version of the game so that Google doesn't get that 30% cut that they get for all of the Google Play Store purchases. He didn't even go that far, which is pretty much the bare minimum. He didn't even do that. But I think that canceling the Stadia version while leaving the Android version up, I think we all know what this is. I mean, he wants to still get the money from Google and 505 Games. And chances are... At this point, Andrew Spinks and ReLogic probably have a connect at 505 Games who would be probably more than happy to take down the listing of Terraria from the Google Play Store at his request. And so I just, it feels like the Mr. Krabs, I like money. I think that's the reason why the Android version of Terraria is still up because that has a lot more potential in making money and generating revenue for ReLogic. And so like when you're trying to take a stand against the company, it's like if you're not willing to sacrifice the money that you will have made, is it really as moral as you think that it is? But that's just my thought on that. The second problem that I see with the way this was handled was that Google Stadia is being punished for something that another department of Google, whether it was Gmail or YouTube or something like that, had done. Like Stadia had absolutely nothing to do with Andrew Spinks's Google account being banned or being deleted. So punishing Stadia for that just because you know it'll get retweets and and likes and all these people quote tweeting you and all the social media attention it just kind of seems a bit grimy to me because you know that all of these clickbait youtubers and journalists would jump at the opportunity to say something negative about stadia and you use that to your advantage and even that leads into my third point which is capitalizing from a negative PR week for Google Stadia. So at the very beginning of the month, Google Stadia announced that they would be shutting down their first party studio, Stadia Games and Entertainment. And I talked about that with Avery of Stadia Source. So if you missed that conversation, I'll refer you to the previous episode where we talked about that. So Go listen to that and then come back to this episode. But anyway, after Google Stadia had announced that they were shutting down their first party development studio for Stadia Games, which is called Stadia Games and Entertainment, a lot of people were saying, oh, Google Stadia is dead. It's it's dead. It's on its last legs. It's on life support. It failed. Google's giving up on Stadia, which none of that is true. They're just not publishing games themselves anymore. And they'll instead be focusing on bringing third-party games to the platform. But that's not the point of this episode. Andrew Spinks utilized that negative PR for Google Stadia to his advantage because he knew that he would get attention off of it. And that's just kind of grimy to me. I don't particularly vibe with that. It's not good, especially for someone 
who's trying to be looked at as a moral person, doing a lot of immoral things here. But the last point that I want to bring up is you didn't condemn anyone from harassing the people who work at Stadia, or even fans of Stadia, because let's not forget, they had nothing to do with Andrew Spinks' account being just Thanos snapped out of <laughs> out of existence but yeah i mean that's also pretty grimy i mean because of his comments people who are fans of stadia have definitely been bullied and i've even seen some death threats towards other people Thankfully, I'm not one of them, but I do empathize with those who have received harassment and bullying and especially death threats. Like those are not cool for anybody, not just gamers, but it's not cool to be dishing out those kinds of things. And if you're someone who has done that and you're listening to this podcast, yeah, not cool and probably go fuck yourself. But speaking of taking stands against companies, unlike Andrew Spinks, there was someone who did take a stand against a company and actually did it right. And that person is none other than comedian Dave Chappelle, which for those of you who don't know is a comedian who has done a lot of stand-up specials most recently he's done a lot of stand-up specials for netflix but he also had his show titled Chappelle show that ran on comedy central in the mid 2000s so he's a man that has a cult following we should say And back in November, Chappelle's show was streaming on Netflix and HBO Max. But because Dave Chappelle had still not been compensated for any of these deals that he's had within the past 15 years of his show being canceled and not premiering any new episodes... There have been a lot of deals that have been made for Chappelle's show and Dave Chappelle hadn't been compensated for any of it from Viacom CBS, which owns Comedy Central. And so because of the lack of compensation that Dave Chappelle had from Viacom CBS, Dave Chappelle personally requested Netflix and Warner Media to remove Chappelle's show from all platforms, including Netflix and HBO Max, back in November. So it's not like Spinks's thing where he had canceled the Google Stadia version of Terraria but still left it up on the Google Play Store. No. So Chappelle didn't take it off of HBO Max and leave it on Netflix where more people would view it. So instead, Dave Chappelle had just requested it to be removed off of all platforms. And I think that definitely shows that he doesn't want anybody watching it on any platform. And it was definitely a message that was received by Viacom CBS because no one was watching the show on Netflix or HBO Max, which hurts Viacom CBS's chances of making money from Chappelle's show. And so I think that if Andrew Spinks had canceled the Stadia version of Terraria, but also taken it off of the Google Play Store and Google Play Pass as well. I think that Google definitely would have had him on the phone that day and they would have hashed this out within hours. But that's not the case. Instead, Dave Chappelle definitely had taken a stand. He had full assed his stance against Viacom CBS, whereas Andrew Spinks had half-assed his stance against Google. So if you're going to take a stand against a company, full asset, like right in the crack, just full asset. Don't half-ass it. I can't believe that's, (laughs) I can't believe that's a line that I just said on the podcast. 
But anyway, back to Chappelle's show. And Dave Chappelle, he got contacted by Viacom CBS and possibly Netflix as well to get the license to his show back and got paid millions of dollars because of them losing out on that viewership because people love Dave Chappelle and they listened including me, like I'm a huge fan of Dave Chappelle and I didn't watch Chappelle's show on Netflix or HBO Max. So because Viacom CBS had definitely seen that a lot less people were watching Chappelle's show on Netflix and HBO Max, hurting Viacom CBS's opportunities to make money off the show, they contacted him to try and get him paid for all of those deals that he may have missed out on in the time that his show was canceled back in the mid-2000s up until now. And I guess he got reimbursed for all of those deals that he never got a chance to take part in. And so that is what happens when you fully take a stance against a company. They listened, which... Credit to Viacom CBS, where it's due, they listened. They were like, look, we're going to make this right. It's messed up that you didn't get compensated for all of these deals that our company has done without you for the past 15 years. And so in order to get people watching your show so we can make money off of it, or we'd like to give you some of that and reimburse him for all of the deals that he may have missed out on, as well as maybe him getting some sort of a cut of the deal to stream Chappelle's show on Netflix and HBO Max. So, I mean, his fans' voice meant something, and because we didn't watch it on Netflix or HBO Max, and that because... Netflix and HBO Max took the show off of their platform so that nobody could watch it. You know, that definitely caught the eye of Viacom CBS, and I think that it definitely worked out. Can I say the same for Andrew Spinks? Well, I mean, considering he still doesn't have his Google account, I would say at the time of this recording, no, because he wasn't prepared to fully forego whatever amount of money that he's making from the Android version of Terraria. So I doubt Google's hurting over 100, 200 sales of Terraria. I really doubt that's putting a big hole in Google's pockets. Now, If they lost out on millions of dollars because the Terraria Android version has been taken down from the Google Play Store, that would definitely make Google notice. And Google would have had him on the phone that day. And also, with Dave Chappelle, just him appreciating his fans and also being respectful towards all of his fans. Whereas with Andrew Spinks, he lets the Terraria fans go crazy, apparently. And I think that Dave Chappelle is definitely the example to follow when taking a stand against a company. And Andrew Spinks is an example of what not to do when taking a stand against a company. Again, like I said at the beginning of this segment, I do empathize with Andrew Spinks. I do. And I really do hope he gets his Google account restored. I really do. But at the same time, that doesn't make him immune to criticism. And the way he handled the situation publicly is quite frankly, very disgusting. And and as someone who wasn't thinking about Terraria before it was previously rated for Google Stadia by some sort of ratings board, I don't know whether it's the ESRB or PEGI in Europe, but what I do know is that well, I wasn't interested then in Terraria, but now it's like I wouldn't even buy it on any platform, whether it's Google-owned or not. 
I don't want to buy Terraria on any platform because of how Andrew Spinks had handled the situation. But now, I mean, I've been talking for almost 40 minutes now. So I want to pass the question on to you. What do you think of this whole Terraria situation? Do you think that he handled it the only way he knew how after exhausting all of his other options? Do you think that he could have been more consistent in the way that he took his stand against Google? Do you think that he should have learned from Dave Chappelle? Let me know what your thoughts are on the whole Terraria gate situation on social media or on Discord, and we can respectfully continue the conversation there. But that is going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be getting into HBO Max's adult animation in 2021. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then, last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android, or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment, the first black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join Payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Want to support the show without having to buy any merch? Well, you can do that by buying us a coffee. All it takes is just one U.S. dollar to help support the show. So click the link in the show notes or go to ko-fi.com slash Cells and Circuits to help make the Cells and Circuits podcast a better show for you. All right, so last up, we have HBO Max's adult animation in 2021, which for those of you who don't know, HBO Max recently announced via a press release a few animated series that are in development for the streaming service, HBO Max, along with announcing that A, Close Enough Season 2 will be premiering on February 25th, and B, that Close Enough has been renewed for Season 3. So, 
Cheers to J.G. Quintel and the team at Cartoon Network Studios that produces Close Enough. It's a very funny show, and I'm happy that y'all got two new seasons, and I'm very much looking forward to watching them. But outside of Close Enough, we got a few new animated series that HBO Max has announced. Now, of course, none of these have release dates, so chances are they'll probably come in 2022 or even 2023 for some of them. But I'm going to go through each and every animated series that was announced, and I'll give my thoughts on it. So, first up, we have Velma, which is a new adult animated workplace comedy series telling the origin story of Velma from Scooby-Doo. And the first thought that came to my mind when this was announced was, okay, I see Velma and I see adult animated series in the same sentence. And I'm like, okay, Velma's probably going to be like super sexualized as all hell but yeah that was my initial thought just because I mean we've seen especially if you're in the cosplay community you probably see a lot of I'll say risque cosplays of Velma and I'll just uh leave it at that but yeah I mean other than the whole potential over sexualization of Velma the concept of the new animated series looks pretty interesting and Mindy Kaling of the Mindy Project and The Office and shows like that she will be executive producing the show as well as voicing Velma so that'll be interesting to see as well and of course Velma is being produced at Warner Brothers Animation which makes sense because Warner Brothers owns the intellectual property of Scooby-Doo so makes total sense so yeah I mean I'll still be watching Velma just because I am someone who grew up on Scooby-Doo, especially, yeah, the reruns of the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You series, but also reboots like What's New Scooby-Doo and the Kids WB series Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue and other various iterations of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, things like that. So, so I'm definitely going to keep an eye on Velma for when it comes on HBO Max. So, next up is Clone High, which got a two-season order on HBO Max, and it's very interesting that Clone High is coming to HBO Max because it's essentially a reboot of an MTV animated series from the early 2000s. So when you hear that sentence, you think, oh, it's a reboot of an MTV show. This will probably go to Paramount Plus because MTV is owned by Viacom CBS. But nope, it's actually going to HBO Max because Viacom CBS and HBO Max apparently have some sort of uh, working agreement there. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe I need to watch the original Clone High series. I have never watched it before, so it'll be pretty interesting to see. And Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are returning as executive producers, so they produced the original Clone High, but also did things like the Lego movie and most recently Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I personally love. That's one of my favorite movies of the previous decade. So, I mean, now that I know that both Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are going to be executive producing it, kind of makes me a little bit more excited about this series, and it makes me want to go and watch the original Clone High. So, looking forward to this one as well, and I'll be keeping an eye on it. So, next up is Fired on Mars. So, Fired on Mars is an existential 
workplace comedy set on the Martian campus of a modern tech company. And then the synopsis also says that Pete Davidson voices a character and executive produces the show, along with Carson Mell, who did Silicon Valley, and Dave Cyrus, or is it Cyrus? I don't know. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name. But this seems like a show that Elon Musk would definitely be watching, you know, just to try and get some ideas because Elon Musk is definitely a CEO of multiple tech companies, one of which is looking to send humans to Mars. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a show that's like tailor-made for Elon Musk and someone just specifically made this show for Elon Musk to watch. But yeah, if you're a fan of comedies and weird comedies, I feel like this would probably be one to look out for. So, I mean, I may or may not watch it. I'll have to wait for a trailer to see if I want to get more into it. But, I mean, just based on the uh, synopsis, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It may or may not be interesting to me. But we'll see. And then, as far as the Max original adult animated series in development that also don't have release dates, we have the first one being Hello, Paul which is a a cartoon from musician Sean Solomon, who I don't know who that is, but I'll probably look him up after this segment. But Hello, Paul is about a neurotic millennial cat whose intense job and freeloading mouse roommate stress him out. And from the picture that is being shown here on my computer that I'm looking at. This looks like something that probably could have been on FXX's animation domination high def block from a few years ago where they basically tried to compete with Adult Swim. This feels like something that could have been on that block. So yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to watch it, but I mean, I'll wait until a trailer comes out to see if I want to watch it or not. But yeah, I mean, not really feeling it that much, but we'll see when a trailer comes out. Next up is Obi, which is one of the more underrated cartoons on this list. But basically... Obi is an adult animated comedy series about a 30-year-old man chasing his dream to become an artist while navigating adulthood with his friends. And it's being produced by Michael B. Jordan's company, Outlier Society, which also produced another adult animated series whose second season will be coming to HBO Max. And that is Genlock. So Michael B. Jordan will have his second animated series coming out from his company, Outlier Society. And then also Michael Schreiber from Studio 71 and David DeVries, or is it DeVries? I don't know. I really apologize for um, mispronouncing your name. And Obi is an adaptation of Obi Arisuku's popular Instagram comic strip of the same name, which is kind of dope because, as you could probably tell from the name, he's a Nigerian. And so that alone makes me want to support this project because I definitely like seeing not just black people, but also Nigerians winning. So I will definitely be watching this to support more Nigerians um, in animation because a lot of Nigerian parents definitely don't encourage people, especially those with a creative ambitions to chase their dreams. So it's 
important for me to watch something, whether it's animated or live action, that a Nigerian person made because of the familial issues that people in Nigerian households have to deal with from older generations or with their parents not being able to support their dreams, especially if they're creative. So yeah, I'll definitely be watching and I can't wait for Obi to come out. That's a Max original that I will definitely be watching for sure. Now in stark contrast, we have Uncanny Valley, which is executive produced by Ed Helms, who's a comedian and actor, with creators and executive producers Brendan Walter and Greg Yagolnitzer. Or Yagolnitzer? I, I don't. Uh, like, I, I apologize for. <laughs> for mispronouncing these names. But it's a story of three robots who kill their human owners and try to assume their identities. So that's a pretty interesting premise. So the premise alone is definitely something that I would be interested in. I think the problem with this definitely lies in the design of it. I'm not a huge fan of the design. I think that this looks like something that like Family Guy would be parodying. But back when Family Guy was actually good, and this is coming from someone who really enjoyed Family Guy as a kid. <laughs> um even though I probably shouldn't have been watching it, but that's all right. But yeah, I mean, I like the premise of it. I'm not sure on the look of it, though. Like, this could be a show that could be on Fox or something like that because it has that vibe of an animation domination show, not to be confused with FXX's Animation Domination High Def, which is for more mature programming. This looks more like it would be on par with shows like Family Guy or Bob's Burgers, which is not a bad thing, just to be clear. But, I mean, I don't know. This, this It feels like it may not even fit that well on HBO Max, but... Who knows? I could be wrong, and I would love to be wrong. But yeah, I mean, Uncanny Valley is produced by a Universal Television, which for an animated series that is developed by Universal Television, you would think that it would be going to Peacock, but it's not. It's going to HBO Max, so that's also interesting. But yeah, I I mean, Uncanny Valley is definitely an apt name for the show. I'll say that much. I know, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing. I will keep an eye out for it just because of the premise. The premise is interesting. I can't imagine what um, a show <laughs> with three robots who are trying to assume the identities of the owners that they killed. That's something that you just have to see happen. So yeah, I'm interested in it for that reason. But last but not least is the only non-comedic animated series on this list. Can you believe that? The only one that is not a comedy. So... This last one is Cover, which is an adaptation of the DC comic book series of the same name. And it's an animated espionage thriller. So we got like some spy stuff going on here. And it's a love letter to the comic book industry that apparently was nominated for multiple Eisner Awards. So I didn't know that. But it's also being produced by Rooster Teeth Studios, which is interesting because it's an adaptation of a DC comic book. So you would think that Warner Brothers Animation would be tackling this, but no, it's Rooster Teeth, which I have no problem with. I like shows like Ruby and Genlock, which Rooster Teeth is also handling. 
So I'm okay with this. But yeah, I mean, cover will be coming to HBO Max. And of this list, it's the only adult animated series that's not a comedy. But of course, there are other animated series still in the works for HBO Max including a series that HBO Max has inherited from other streaming services like Genlock, which season two is going to be an HBO Max exclusive for 90 days after its release. And then you also have shows like Harley Quinn, which came to HBO Max last year, or at least the first two seasons came to HBO Max last year, with a third season on the way that's coming exclusively to HBO Max because HBO Max had inherited Harley Quinn from DC Universe, which is now defunct. And then lastly, um, you have Young Justice, which, just like Harley Quinn, HBO Max had inherited that from DC Universe as well. And I consider Young Justice an adult animated series because of season three, where it gets darker than anything in the first two seasons, which aired on Cartoon Network back in the early 2010s. Season 3 was a DC Universe exclusive, and so it was allowed to get darker and show things that wouldn't have been shown in the first two seasons. And a fourth season is on the way, which will be an HBO Max exclusive. So yeah, definitely let me know what you thought of any of HBO Max's adult animated series that were just announced. I will leave a link to the official press release in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, and we can continue the conversation there, but that is going to do it for this topic. Thank you so much for listening to the Cells and Circuits podcast, the place for tunes, tech, and where they intersect. Let me know what you think of any of the topics discussed on social media or on Discord via the Flow page link in the show notes. If you like this content, share it on social media and give it a review to help more people find it. If you want to see even more content just like this, consider supporting Cells and Circuits on Coffee or visiting the Cells and Circuits shop. The Cells and Circuits podcast was written, produced, and edited by me, Chibeze Anakor. Our intro, outro, and transition music was made by Tiffy3. That'll do it for this episode. So until next time, I'm Chibeze, signing off.